Hey there, listeners. This is Rod from Cincinnati Children's. Have you downloaded the new version of the Stay Current Pediatric Surgery app? We've got a brand new layout, new features. One of my favorite new features is what we're calling channels. So for example, you could subscribe to an IPEG channel, and then we'll notify you when there's new IPEG content, like a video to watch. So download the Stay Current Pediatric Surgery app today. It's in the Apple App Store. It's in the Google Play Store. But until then, enjoy the episode. Let me ask you a question. When do you get a CT scan for a pediatric patient who had blunt abdominal trauma? And before you get too riled up, I'm going to say don't worry about the 3% of these patients who come into the trauma bay hemodynamically unstable. Uh, I'm going to spend my time talking about the 97% of the patients that we see following blunt trauma that are hemodynamically stable. That's Dr. Christian Streck. He's a pediatric surgeon at the Medical University of South Carolina. He's talking at our 2017 pediatric surgery update course about when to get CAT scans for blunt abdominal trauma. That's what we're going to be doing. We're going to give you some of our favorite sessions from previous update courses so that you can listen to this kind of abbreviated high yield version of our conferences. We're going to call it the update course rewind. So without further ado, here is the rewind on CT for blunt abdominal trauma with Dr. Christian Streck. Enjoy. Dr. Streck is going to give us two cases. The first is a six-year-old male. He was a a restrained backseat passenger in a motor vehicle collision. It was reported as a car versus a tree head-on at a high speed. Uh, He was on the passenger side in the backseat. There was no known loss of consciousness, and he presented hemodynamically stable en route. In our center, we have a tiered uh, trauma uh, activation system, so he was the second highest level. Um, on primary survey, he had a patent airway, his respiratory rate was 27, blood pressure 111 over 81, heart rate 131. On Braslow, he was about 20 kilograms and had a GCS of 15. Pertinent physical exam findings, he had some mild midline uh, cervical spine tenderness to palpation, and he had a noticeable seatbelt contusion. I'll show you a picture of that. If you're listening to this in the Stay Current app, scroll down under the media player, there's a picture of the seatbelt contusion. Uh, His abdomen was fairly soft, a little bit distended, but there were no obvious peritoneal signs. And he had the following uh, imaging finding, which is this uh, contusion here uh, on the abdomen, uh, consistent with a lap belt uh, type of mechanism of injury. The second patient uh, was his sister, also in the same vehicle. She's an 11-year-old female. She was also a restrained backseat passenger in the same MVC. She was found slumped under the driver's seat. There's a positive loss of consciousness at the scene. On route, she's hemodynamically stable. She's also a level B trauma activation, so the second highest level tier. Primary survey showed a patent airway. Respiratory rate was 28. Blood pressure was 84 over 36. Heart rate was 118. She weighs 35 kilograms. Her GCS is 15. On secondary survey, she had a mild midline cervical spine tenderness to palpation, several fractured incisors, minor lip laceration, but her mid-face is stable. Normal abdominal exam. I'd like to point out for our audience, 
That's Whit Holcomb. He's a pediatric surgeon at Children's Mercy, Kansas City. The seatbelt side or, or the abdominal contusion really should be a red flag for, for everyone. Because think about the amount of force needed from a seatbelt to generate a hematoma on a child's abdomen like that. That force is then transmitted intra-abdominally. But this patient is hemodynamically stable. So what do you do next? You could certainly start with some labs. Uh, we uh, rely um, a lot on labs and imaging to try to assess some of these hemodynamically stable patients that have a, a seemingly reliable physical exam. So. The brother with the seatbelt contusion, hematocrit was 37, white count 21, AST was 49, his lipase was normal. We didn't order a base deficit or lactate, and he had a normal chest X-ray. Uh, in contrast, the sister uh, had an elevated AST, her AST was 222, and she had some small pulmonary contusions on her chest X-ray. So now ask yourself, who of these patients would you get an abdominal CT on? So which, if either of these kids, would you get a CT scan? I'll tell you that Dr. Streck then pulls up a CT scan of the brother, scroll down under the media player, open it up, you can take a look, here he is talking about it. There's some uh, free fluid that's intermediate density uh, along the liver here. This is the posterior wall of the stomach. There's uh, fluid in the lesser sac, maybe a couple dots in free air in the next cut. The duodenum seems to have a hematoma here. Uh, and there's some pericolic uh, fluid in this gutter as well. The sister also got a CAT scan. Hers was totally normal. What are we to do with this information? You have two children who have the same mechanism of injury, literally in the same car accident with two very different CAT scans. So what do we do? Do we CAT scan every child with blunt abdominal injury? I mean, there's certainly in the trauma world a very low threshold to CAT scan the stable patient with abdominal trauma. And this is despite a low incidence of intra-abdominal injury. Uh, less than 12% of the patients have an injury on CT. And then you got to consider the cost of further imaging. And then, especially in the pediatric population, the risk of radiation-induced malignancy. There is research on CT scans in this setting that Dr. Streck then went into. In 2012, um, David mentioned the PCARN group. They put together a prospective study and um, their primary outcome variable were patients with an intra-abdominal injury that required an acute intervention. So they were trying to identify those patients with intra-abdominal injury who either needed urgent surgery, angiography, or a transfusion. Now, it seems that this study and this protocol was really sensitive at picking up intra-abdominal injury. But it missed a lot of clinically relevant injuries, mostly solid organ injuries like liver, and spleen injuries, which we felt were important because it, it affects how we manage the patient, even if we're not rushing straight to the operating room. So his team took it a step further with a publication that came out that year in 2017 in the Journal of American College of Surgeons. Uh, but we came up with a prediction model. These truly were patients that you would say had a severe mechanism of injury. Uh, almost half were motor vehicle collisions at greater than 30 miles an hour pedestrian or bicycle versus automobile, ATV accidents. And of those just over 2,000 patients who went into this study, only about 12% actually had an identifiable intra-abdominal injury. And then of that, only 3% of those patients 
needed an intervention. Now, the surprising thing was the range of patients getting a CT scan was 4 to 96% amongst the different centers that were involved. Um, so that shows you, I think, that there's a, a great opportunity for improvement in how we decide who needs a scan. So what were the variables that were most important in their prediction model? AST greater than 200, an abnormal uh, physical exam, an abnormal chest x-ray in the bay, a patient complaining of abdominal pain, or an elevated amylase or lipase. So the patients in the study who didn't have any of those factors ended up being about 34% of the group. And of that 34, 0.6 of them had an intra-abdominal injury. 0% of them had an intra-abdominal injury that needed an intervention. So negative predictive value was 100% for the injury requiring intervention and 99.4% for all injuries. I want to do what we call rapid fire here. Not much discussion, just a quick answer. That's Todd Ponsky from Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Keep in mind that this conference is virtual, so people were sending in questions online. Todd wanted to address some of them. And this is coming from Khalid Sharif. He says, in a patient that has a seatbelt injury, they believe he should get oral contrast. It's the only way to rule out a perforation. I would say I, I disagree. <coughs> I agree uh, that it can be difficult to identify patients with uh, small bowel or colonic injuries. I don't think oral contrast adds to that. Um, I, I think our CT scans have gotten so good with the multi-slice scanners that typically there's evidence, uh, it may not be free air, but there are subtle findings that would make you uh, concerned for uh, small bowel or other hollow viscous injury. Am I wrong to say this statement? A missed bowel injury, a missed bowel injury if caught within 24 hours, usually it has no increased morbidity. Is that a false statement? There, there is a study um, through APSA a few years ago that supports that. Of course, uh, I think the flip side of that is we don't want to have delays uh, in diagnosis or missed injuries. If we don't have live paces, amylase good enough? Yeah. So in our study, when we designed it, we um, allowed for either. And when it says abnormal pancreatic enzyme, it could be amylase or lipase. In our institution, they only do lipases. Most of the places, I shouldn't say most, it was pretty evenly distributed between getting an amylase or lipase. A few institutions got both. There is huge variability in the lab evaluation of these patients. And I think that was one of the most impressive findings is that we are all over the board in how we use labs and which labs we choose to, to use to evaluate. So let's summarize. The pediatric patient who has a blunt abdominal injury will most often present to the trauma bay hemodynamically stable. And you're left wondering, do we go on? Do we get further imaging? Should they get a CAT scan? Is it worth it? Dr. Streck has five laboratory results that can tell you, hey, this is a patient who has a very high risk of an intra-abdominal injury. This is one that has a very low risk of an intra-abdominal injury. And then among those patients, which ones are going to go on to necessitate an intra-abdominal injury intervention, be it surgery, angiography, transfusion, etc. And then you got to keep in mind that most patients aren't necessarily presenting to a high-level pediatric surgical center. A lot of them are rural community hospitals, and there's really no standardized way to determine which kids should or should not be getting a CAT scan. The research and the time, I think, will flush this out. 
And here is Dr. Streck with some closing statements. Um, there are always questions about who to apply this to. And again, 97% of the patients are hemodynamically stable. There's a lot of variability amongst, amongst institutions, so we can certainly uh, do better. We can do better, we should do better. And if you wanna learn how to do better, one place to start is our pediatric surgery update course. In 2021, it's gonna be on August 27th. Mark your calendars. It's gonna be virtual. You can watch it live. You can watch along with us on social media and tweet along, Facebook, Instagram, send us messages, questions. It's gonna be very interactive. Highly recommend you guys attend. Mark your calendars, August 27th. In the meantime, you can watch or listen to update course presentations from the past. We have them on our website, globalcastmd.com. Or you can just keep listening to my podcast every week. Every now and then I'm gonna sprinkle some update course rewinds just like this one so that you can stay well informed. Download our app, Stay Current Pediatric Surgery. It's in the Apple App Store, it's in the Google Play Store. But until then, I'm Rod from Cincinnati Children's and remember, knowledge should be free.